Welcome down to my nine-foot homemade oak bar. Pour yourself a cold one. You are listening to Bucks in the Basement. My name's Chris, and Craig here is the biggest Pirates fan you'll ever meet. Let's talk Pirates baseball now. Welcome to Bucks in the Basement. Now I see the changes in this town. They change, they say one thing, but then the next day. for 412 Brewing, 412 Brewery, right near the ballpark, a great place to hang out in season, off season, great place to watch any game, including the Pirates, and a great place to drink beer. I know you have a favorite, my friend. Oh yeah, it's Mesozoic Mind, it's an IPA. Uh, the couple of times I've been there, uh, it's not a heavy IPA, it's it's like about one of like those 5.5 percenters, but it sneaks up on you, so... Uh, but it's delicious tasting, and I think you had the uh, the Cali Kolsch, I believe it was, that you were you were sipping there. And the last delicious. time I was there, I was drinking the Cali Kolsch. I just liked it because of the fact that it was it was a light beer, like it was the middle of the day, and I was like, ah, it's hot outside. I don't want to like you know feel like like weighted down by the beer. Although you know I'm a big IPA drinker, but that was a solid beer. The Mesozoic Mine, that that one there is a really solid IPA. I tried that there as well. Uh, definitely get out the 412. They're the proud sponsors of Bucks in the Basement. They're a great little brewery uh, right within distance from the stadium for you to go over there and check out pregame, postgame, during the game if you're not actually going inside. Anytime you want to, they're at 847 Western Avenue. Get over there now. Well, not immediately, but you could. You could just run right over there. The Pirates made a decision that made some people want to run. Some people want to run right off a building when they didn't take the consensus. And we believe, right, Craig? I mean, you're not you're not doubting the idea that they didn't take the consensus number one prospect. Because in the draft show last week, every single guy that you had on, you had three draft experts on, like, in a 30-minute episode. And all three of them were leaning towards that shortstop. And, and instead, the Pirates go with the catcher. So... First of all, I was in shock, but secondly, is it really as upsetting as some people are making it out to be? No, it's not even close. I mean, Marcelo Mayer is is a guy, or Meyer, I guess he said he pronounced his name, but... Well, already I don't like him, so I don't want him on my team, because it's Mayer. M-A-Y-E-R is Mayer. If you're Meyer, you, could, you have to spell it a different way. But anyway, continue. Yeah, so, I mean, I... That was the guy uh, that I thought they were going to pick. He was probably the number one guy for me just because of the ceiling and what he could bring to the team. He just looked like a guy that, you know, would be successful. But as the guest said last week, and I think it was Nathan Rohde that pointed out the best, uh, was that it's basically like levels of risk within you know, choosing a player. If you choose a player who is only a high school or prep player, there's more risk. If you move that up to somebody who's been in JUCO, there's a little bit less of a risk. If you move that up to a guy who's competed at, you know, a four-year Division One college, a lot of times there's even less risk. And if you look at, you know, we were talking about before the show, 
people are saying that Ben Sherrington could not miss on this pick. And by miss, that would be if you would take somebody who would be of, you know, the higher risk. Even it was mentioned, you know, pitchers, because a lot of things can happen with joints, arms, obliques, knees, anything that creates more of a risk than a guy who was, by many scouts' estimations, most scouts' estimations, was the best college hitter in the draft. So two years in a row, Ben Sherrington, first pick, goes with a guy who was the best college hitter in the draft, who presents probably the least amount of risk. Now, this is not saying that he has a high ceiling as a Jack Leiter, uh, the Marcelo you know, Myers, the Jordan Lawlers of the world, but saying that his floor is at least closer to his ceiling, and it's not like this great distance that it, it's like he's either going to be an all-star or he may not even make it. They're looking at a guy who, as an everyday player, they're looking for him to make it, contribute, and uh, do everything he can do. And I think a lot of people were just kind of frustrated because at one point they're told it's lighter. At one point they're told that it's, you know, Meyer. And then all of a sudden it gets thrown that it's Davis. And honestly, Pirates fans, some of them just like to be angry to be angry. For me, you can't look down at a guy who, you know, hit 370 last year, 15 home runs for a solid baseball club in Division One baseball and moved up the draft boards because he was actually improving on his defense. So for me, Chris, solid pick. And also, from what I'm hearing is that Meyer wanted as close to like slot, if not over, if possible, from like most of the teams. And honestly, the guys last week who we had on said, there's nobody who deserves the slot, the full slot. And the difference between one and some of them went as far down as eight was so razor thin that it's like you can't be mad at the Pirates for trying to get a guy possibly on the cheap. And then look what they did today and used it. Okay, before we get to that, I want to echo some of the things you just said because you said some really great stuff there and I want to kind of add to it. I want to supplement it. If you think that the Pirates cheaped out by going for a college catcher who's clearly the best college hitter in the draft, has a cannon for an arm, and if they can just work on his framing, and that could be taught, there are so many catchers who suck at that, and then people figure out the receiving and the framing in the minor leagues. The Pirates can teach that. I think this kid can stick a catcher. I think that's what they want from him. Yeah, sure, he can move someplace else, but I think he sticks there if the Pirates do their jobs correctly. I think you can teach that. There's a lot of guys out there right now who are terrible framers and terrible receivers. And then as this became like a bigger thing and specific coaches got in there and started teaching the art of it, we've seen a lot of improvement over the last couple of years. The, the gap is already closing at the major league level with certain catchers starting to figure this thing out and how to do it better. So trust me, you could teach this kid how to catch. All right. I think he could still stick as a catcher. He's got the arm and he's got the hitting and he's got the power. That's what you want. So I have absolutely no problem with a safety pick. And let me explain why a safety pick of taking a guy that you feel the most confident in making it to your major league roster matters. Let's talk about the Houston Astros. Garbage can controversy aside, 
That's a team that went through a massive, massive rebuild. And when they started that rebuild in earnest in 2011 with the selection of George Springer, 11th overall in the first round, those guys after that had to hit. They got Springer in 11 in the first round. They got Correa at the number one pick in 2012. They also got Bregman in the, in, with the second overall pick in 15. They still had mistakes. Mark Appel was a, just a bust at number one. Brady Aiken, absolute bust at number one, both of them in 13 and 14. Kyle Tucker in 15 took forever to get to them. Forrest Whitley has all kinds of issues, but they had to find a few stars in their draft because without that, you can't build a team. A more glaring example is a team right now that's sitting with one of the best records in baseball, the best record in the American League, sent four All-Stars to, to, the, to the All-Star game this weekend in the Chicago White Sox. Their first-round picks and how they've hit over the last nearly a decade is absolutely incredible when you think about it. 2013, Tim Anderson, he's an all-star this weekend. 2014, Carlos Rodon, he's an all-star this weekend. He, he, he could arguably be deserving of being the starter. 2015 was Carson Fulmer, and that was a miss. 16, Zach Collins, he's on the team. Jake Berger's on the team, he was drafted in 17. Nick Madrigal drafted in 18 on the team. Andrew Vaughn drafted in 19 on the team. Garrett Crochet drafted in 20 on the team already. This team that's winning all these games, that's eight games up in their division, their first-round draft choices hit. You want to hit on your first-round draft choices, especially when it's the number one guy overall. So I get saying there's less risk with the college catcher that's proven that he can hit the crap out of the ball at the college level. So I have no problem with this pick whatsoever, and I really hope that he sticks his catch at a catcher, and I hope that's the plan that the Pirates have. Yeah, and Chris, I just want to kind of go back to what you were saying about being able to teach framing and stuff like that. Omar Navarez. Omar Navarez, terrible defensive catcher, could hit the ball. And yeah. now all of a sudden, pretty good defensive catcher still hits the ball. Yeah, he worked on the, the stuff because he was basically told it when he came to Milwaukee because he went out to Seattle after that. And the big knock on for him was that he couldn't, like, I think he went from something like negative 17 and negative 18 defensive runs saved to like maybe I think maybe like a positive two or three this year but that turnaround right there with the continuation of the offense turns this player into you know a possible like you know just everyday starter level war to potential all-star war just by making those defensive adjustments so that's stuff that can easily be taught I uh, one thing that uh, did concern me, I know we're going to go into the second round here when we're talking about things that can be taught. Uh, I got into like a little bit of discussion with uh, with some people on Twitter today, and it was a good, friendly discussion uh, just because when the second pick came up for the Pirates, it wasn't somebody that I had targeted, and I hadn't targeted for two reasons. I hadn't targeted him in what I was looking at. Number one, because MLB had him at like 17. So I wasn't sure if he was going to drop. The second reason was because he has possibly one of the clunkiest or I think somebody described it as they basically started having seizures trying to watch him pitch because it's just it's just such a wild movement that he does. People are saying it's like a Bumgarner and a Mackenzie Gore, but it's like an exaggerated version of both of them. Plus, the guy has two pitches. I know he's a high school level player. 
I know he's a kid. But people are acting like, we've talked about this before, Chris, that it's just like, oh, he can learn a changeup. No, that's not, like, it's it's not something that can easily be taught. And especially a guy that has, I mean, they're going to have to work with his mechanics if they're going to work in, because he, he throws a, a, a fastball into righties. Are, are we talking Are we talking about the, the Solometto kid, Anthony Solometto yeah. in the second Anthony round? Anthony Solometto. Okay. I just, I wasn't really high on him. And that's like one that, but here's the thing is, most of the, the rankings are, are pretty high on him. The lowest one I saw was about 36 from one of the guys that was on the show last week. But I just had some concerns about number one, the mechanics, number two, teaching a, a third pitch, not coming in as polished as some of the prep arms have been in the past. And I saw other prep arms who may not have the ceiling that this kid has, but had a higher floor in my estimation. Uh, maybe they were people that, you know, they couldn't woo away from their college commitments or whatever it may be. Uh, I don't see this as a miss on Sherrington's part by any estimation. I just see it as one that I just can kind of critique a little bit. You know, here's the thing about what the Pirates did after they took the safe catcher with the number one overall pick. They went prep. They went high ceiling. And I, I'm all I'm all in with it. I'm totally down with it, Craig. I'm okay with low floor, high ceiling at this point. You, you, you have to find guys that not only... Uh, could could develop into something great for you. But the, the thing is, is that if you can get a high school kid to come into your system, then you're developing him for the four years that he would have been sitting in college. You're, you're working on those things with him instead of letting some other coach or some other organization work with him at his college. So there there is a plus to getting prep arms with high ceilings because you then are the ones that are controlling what he does next. I'm okay with the swing for the fences with prep arms with a team that's in the middle of a rebuild because guess what? If they don't make it to your team, they're capital, baby. They're two years from now sitting in your single A, double A, and they still have some kind of shine to them, and they're sitting on a prospect list when you're ready to make a deal as you're building this team back up again. So I don't have a I don't have an issue with it at all. And when you look at what the Tampa Bay Rays do, and I always talk about this when it comes to the Pirates. Arm after arm after arm after arm after arm. And they don't need to be the greatest pitcher ever because they're not going to expose them for more than two times through the lineup. They're going to have openers. They're going to have a big relief pool to pull from. If you need those kind of arms to run that kind of a team on the budget that the Pirates will have to run it on with Bob Nutting as their owner, Ben Charrington, if he's following the blueprint of the Tampa Bay Rays, I understand the prep arms that he went out and got. I understand the prep outfielder that he went out, I want to say, in round. Did he get a uh, prep outfielder? He had a, he had a compensation pick, number 64, Lonnie White Jr. That guy's a beast. That's where I'm going to say, like, that's where, like, the, the I just had to get on my my Solometto little, little soapbox there for a second. And he could turn out to be great. Like I said, it was just one that I was looking at the guy that we ended up getting at 72 uh, up at that up at the uh, – the 37 to start the second round. That'd be Bubba Chandler, two-way player, prep guy, four-star recruit to be, you know, in line for possibly starting for Clemson. Uh, just a a stud athlete. Uh, Lonnie White Jr., the guy from Malvern Prep, he's a guy that was committed 
to play football at Penn State, a, a stud athlete. So I, I think that, you know, Ben Sherrington did what a lot of people thought he was going to do. He might not have done it with the same players, uh, especially, you know, going Henry Davis, getting him under slot to save that money, to get Solomedo, to get, you know, hopefully signing uh, Lonnie White Jr. That seemed like a guy who was a little bit more on the fence than other ones. And Bubba Chandler, who seems to be all in uh, because it's reported that he's going to sign as soon as he signed, you know, as soon as he was drafted, he's, he changed all of his social media stuff to playing for the Pittsburgh Pirates. It was a party in his house. That kid can't wait to be a pirate. Yeah, I mean, so he he was, you know, going with that. And then Ben did what he did in last year's draft. Uh, he went and did a bunch of guys off the board. You know, the first guy they took was the best player in Vermont. Pretty good pitcher. So, I mean, <laughs> I, I can't argue with that. And then went, you know, off the board, off the board, off the board to try to get some of those value picks who could still, you know, find their way into being a part of the system and a part of the future. I mean, everybody looks about, you know, Logan Hoffman, who we had on the show last year, right after he was drafted, he was drafted off the board. Not a lot of people knew about him. You know, small school had gone to JUCO prior to that. And now he's tearing up you know, single A for the Pirates at a very young age. So it's not saying all those picks are, I don't want people to think, oh, those are just, you know, value picks and also bad picks. They're looking at guys that were, you know, seniors in college that really, I mean, I hate to say it, it's the way the system is is jobbed towards them is that if you're a senior and you're probably not going to be like a, a super high pick, the Pirates can pick you wherever they want and to. And they're going to wait, and then they're going to pay you $20,000 to sign, and they're gonna, and, and you're you're beholden. If you don't get drafted before your senior year, you're taking basically pennies to go play baseball no matter how good you are as a senior. It, 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 unless you are a super talent. Look, here's the thing. Just go back to your Solomedo thing real quick. After Anthony Solomedo gets picked with the 37th overall pick, is there somebody that was on the board that you thought they should have taken? Because to me, there's only one pitcher that sits out there that I had actually heard of, and that was Kai Bush, the kid from uh, St. Mary's College. I had read about him a few times. There were some people who thought he was the kind of talent that could have gone in the first round. But other than that, as I scroll through the rest of the second round picks, there's nobody that's jumping out at me like, man, I can't believe they didn't grab that guy instead, you know? I had guys, uh, I'll just throw out a name there, and he actually, I don't think he even got drafted yet is uh, Gage Jump, a left-handed pitcher, another prep arm. But to me, he had three – no, he has four average to above-average pitches that he actually uses, uh, a commit to Southern California, so it's not like, you know, he's a guy that's going, going nowhere. Well, that's the thing. The problem is if he's committed to a school and he wanted to go by a certain point – and then he didn't get drafted where he wanted to get drafted. He, the Pirates could have called him and he could have said, I'm going to college. If I'm not getting paid at this point, I think I'm going to get paid when I come out of college in a couple of years. That could, that could be, very, you know, that's the thing about this draft. It's not like the NFL draft. You don't know who talked, who said what to the Pirates on the phone when they called up, right? I mean, it, look, if you were, and, and that goes back to the thing with the, at the very beginning of the draft. Like I don't, you you can't speculate on it. There, it might not be possible, but it's not like the Pittsburgh Pirates 
ooze, oh my God, I can't wait to go play for the Pirates. I can't wait to go play for a team that barely spends any money and doesn't win. Right? So, I mean, like, like you don't know what conversations were had on the phone when somebody called up. Like, all right, well, if I'm going to play for you, the price is this. Like, the price might be higher. I have more faith in the process because I have to have it. You either believe that the people that are in charge now, that Charrington got in there, know what they're doing, or you don't. But you gotta, you you have to. It, it's almost like a leap of faith because unless you went out and scouted these kids individually and you were on the phone calls when it came time to try to figure out who was signable, it's really hard to pick on draft picks, don't you think? Oh yeah, I mean it's it's definitely difficult. And like I said, it was just in my eyes, it was just more of a critique. It's something that you know a player that comes up like that had and it just some concerns to me. So I mean, I, that's where like I feel like. At some point in time, like, I have to stick somewhere in the middle because, I mean, what Ben Sherrington has done, I'm very impressed with. The amount of, you know, top prospects that he's brought into this organization, I'm extremely impressed with. But I'm also not, like, as far as the people that are gushing over him, like he's the second coming, and I'm also not the spend-nutting, win-nutting kind of people. I'm just a guy that, at some point in time, it's just like, you know what? Maybe there's a better guy there, but like you said, this isn't like the, you know, it's you didn't say it exactly, but this isn't the NFL draft. This isn't like, you know, a lot of times you want to pick, they always say pick best player available, but it's also sometimes it's like pick best player available who you can sign. So there's like that caveat to it as well. So, I mean, like I said, I think there was some guys in there who I saw as, you know, uh, more polished, but... Um, it doesn't mean that I'm not gonna not gonna cheer for this kid and hope for the best. I just hope that they can make some of the adjustments that you know need to be made in order to you know bring him up to the level of where his potential is at. He was ranked high because of potential, which would happen with most you know any draft picks, any prospect list, whatever it would be. A lot of the times you're you're ranked based on potential. So I would hope that the Pirates can develop him because this goes back to what Ben Sherrington talks about all the time. He talks about identifying, and then he talks about acquiring, and then he talks about you know the, the development of the players, and then deploying. So right now, he's gotten to the identification part. He's getting to the acquisition part, and it, it, the plan does not work unless you develop. You know, I get muscle aches all the time. I've gone from being able to do whatever I want to and not feeling any pain to basically getting pain for any kind of physical activity. Good news, there's a local family-owned Southside business that provides a CBD topical that will not break the bank. Creaky Bone Balm offers concentrated relief for creaky bones. It is an effective hemp-based CBD in a rejuvenating balm. And guess what? It's made in small batches always free of preservatives and all natural ingredients. It's great for muscle aches, tension, inflammation, joint pain. You can even use it for skin ailments like burns and dry cracked skin. Right now, go to creakybone.com and use the promo code BASEMENT. Get 20% off your order. And now check out the new 2,500 milligram balm with reduced pricing on their classic balms right now at creakybone.com. Let's talk about a guy that has now captured the hearts and minds of Pittsburgh Pirates fans who after, and and I want to make this clear, seven games and 31 plate appearances. 
is the second coming. And people are just on fire about. At 28 years old, he's just come out of nowhere, 500 with a 548 on base percentage, slugging 571 with an OPS of 1120 and an OPS plus of 210. And I'm sure he'll keep that pace up. Yeah, the Big Nagowski is is definitely going to be waiting. The Big Nagowski. I love the big, the fact that that's all, he's already got the name. The Big Nagowski, John Nagowski, is now all of a sudden capture the hearts and minds of Pirates fans. Yeah, which, I mean, here's the thing is, in a season like this, go ahead and have fun with it. But we, I go back to when we were talking about Thrillip Evans and we're saying, okay, if he continues to hit like this, he continues to play. But don't be surprised when he's hitting around 200, you know, at this point in the season or sooner. So don't be surprised if the Big Nagowski in a couple weeks or a month is batting under the Mendoza line and you're still maybe trying to hold on and justify him being in your lineup. It's a good story. You're happy for the guy. He's got a cool nickname now. He's in Pirates folklore forever. But for me, if he is still performing well in a month, that's a good problem to have. If he's, you know, performing towards the end of the season, it's a good problem to have. I mean, it's in this type of, you know, rebuild, you're going to have to hit on picking up some guys off of waivers. You're going to have to hit on the draft. You're going to have to hit whatever it may be. And the other part is, is if that he hits even for, you know, another couple of weeks, it's it's kind of still a good thing because you still want to be competitive no matter if you're losing or not. And so far, he's made you maybe a little bit more competitive in the games he's been in. So sign him to a long-term deal? Absolutely. I mean, I, I think we can lock him up with six years, 80 million, something like that. I think, I think we definitely should. Uh, I mean, just like people wanted to, like I said, they wanted to extend Phillip Evans at that time. Tyler Anderson, I, they were like, after three games, they're like, why Why would we trade this guy? We need to We need to lock him up for a few years. Center the whole rebuild around him and don't let him go, is what I would say. Hold on to him tightly. I mean, that's that's priority list has changed. The right. Big Nagowski, then Cabrian <laughs> Hayes, then Brian Reynolds. Right, well, it's obvious. As long as you get Nagowski in, right. I'm pretty sure the other... The other uh, the other pieces will fall into place. I would imagine so. Uh, speaking of, as you mentioned, tr- the word trade there just uh, a few moments ago, uh, I will tell you this. I believe that the chips are all going to start falling very quickly in the trade market in the next couple of weeks. There's already rumors that the Rockies have a deal in place where they're moving Trevor Story, but they just didn't want to move him before the All-Star game was over. And so this is like they already have a deal in theory to, to move on from him. So you're going to see a lot of guys getting moved, and Adam Frazier is going to be one of the hot names on on the market. Yahoo Sports, once again, kind of doubled down on what I think was a misquote. Oh, yeah. Absolute misquote. John Heyman thought that the White Sox would give up Andrew Vaughn for him. Um, You know, here's the thing. Uh, Andrew Vaughn over the last 30 days for the Chicago White Sox sitting like 330 with seven home runs. He's He was just drafted 2019. He was one of the first few draft. He was picked third overall. Um, they're not giving him up for Adam Frazier. And so, like, if the and, and I want to ask you this before we finished off because that that was one of the things I want. I was curious about your thoughts. Would you be disappointed 
if the Pirates kept the price so high that nobody took Frazier when he was playing at his absolute best that he'd ever played his entire career, especially if he falls off in the second half and is never this valuable. Oh, I'd be frustrated. I think that that's where one of the things you're, you know, judging Ben Sherrington on is his ability to make those trades and make those trades when the players are at the highest value. I mean, he, unfortunately with Josh Bell, uh, it came down to, you know, uh, basically hoping that 2020 would be at least somewhat of a repeat of 2019. I don't know if what the market was for him before that 2020 season Obviously, you know, after his all-star year and and playing well, that's when you would have wanted to trade him. But I don't know what the market was for him at that point in time. But he did trade Marte at a pretty high, you know, at his pinnacle. He traded, you know, Joe Musgrove at his pinnacle. He got the most for, uh, you know, Jamison Tyon when there was some uncertainty as to what he was actually going to bring to the table. So for me, that was, you know, the highest of maybe Jamison Tyon's career at that point in time. So it would be kind of frustrating if he kept it so high. And I think you have to be, you have to be realistic with some teams. Yes. Adam Frazier is, he's a good ball player. And we've said that Chris, since we started the show. And I've said that even before that, like the guy's a good ball player, but I don't know how repeatable this is for number one, an entire season for him. And, and even like into next year, and then you lose that year of control, which takes the the market down a little bit. I think Ben gets a jo- uh, gets the job done here. I think he gets a good trade. Um, if he doesn't, yeah, I, I probably will chalk that up as a, a negative that, you know, either Ben Sherrington overvalued him or, you know, wasn't reading what, you know, most, you know, other GMs were telling him and was still trying to press for more. And they finally said, you know what, now... I'm going to go out and get this other guy instead because, you know, I think I think you're thinking too much of this guy. I would hate to see that happen. I'm hoping he moves him. And another one we've talked about before, like I just mentioned Tyler Anderson and how people were joking they should have resigned him. That's another guy. I mean, he's been pitching pretty well here uh, recently, and, and he's a guy that can, can give you good innings, a nice lefty, maybe even could slot into like a long relief with a competitive team. Uh, those two right there, if he doesn't move Frazier, if he doesn't move Anderson, I would hope both. Uh, that's something I could I could definitely judge him on. Now I see the changes in this town. They change, they say one thing.